0: So just to warn you, uh, on this podcast episode, I'm driving. Uh, I've been driving for <laughs> many hours, and I drove a lot yesterday. So I'm going a little bit insane from staring at the road, entertaining myself as best I can. And so this podcast uh, is a little bit rambling. One of those one of those ones I do where I'm just kind of chatting my thoughts. So if you prefer the more structured podcasts, then give this one a skip because it's just me chatting nonsense while I'm driving on the road. So there's a principle in Taoism, in or in Taoist practice called cloud wandering. Wandering like a cloud, free wandering, you'll see it called different things. Um, and sometimes people have thought it was a metaphor for uh, kind of a mindset, you know, non-attachment to things, and, and that's partially true. But it's also a practice. I mean, essentially, the practice is that, that at some point, um, some period in your life, that you should wander wander freely like a like a cloud right that's the implication and this is something that I've done for many periods of my life and essentially pretty much uh, not straight away from when this COVID era began, but shortly after it got going this was something that I did I started I was like okay well I'll re-engage with the principle of wandering like a cloud because all of a sudden my commitments my attachments to my responsibilities were ended my teaching was was ended on the spot um, because gatherings couldn't gather so i started wandering like a cloud so before and what what that means essentially is i I travel with no major attachment to an area before some of you think i've been irresponsible to travel during this period it's not really the case i've done it as responsibility as responsibly as i am able so i have had (laughs) <laughs> numerous PCR tests. Maybe I hold the world record for the most of those 24 hour PCR tests because you have those quick tests don't you, where they give you an answer in like a half hour or something and I don't know the truth of it but everybody told me they were very, although fairly unreliable. So what I did to try and be responsible is I, I started taking the 24 hour ones which I was told were more responsible and any time I moved area I would get one of these tests so my my nose actually feels like it's been battered to hell (laughs) especially right up near the front of the brain Um, and during this period I've pretty much um, been away from people obviously I've seen friends and I've seen teachers in different places I've been but I've avoided large gatherings and large crowds I've largely been on my own or in very quiet places during this uh, time during this period of of wandering so I've stayed away from people and I ended up picking up Covid um, at one period during this uh, travel and it wasn't too bad for me to be honest uh, a bit like having a light cold or, or something like that and I know where I picked it up as well, it was my fault I was really tired, I've been travelling a little bit too much, I hadn't slept properly and I, I went near somebody who had COVID and I, I picked it up myself, so first thing I did was isolate for uh, i going to change lanes isolate for 10 days, 12 days I think it was, I can't remember away from everybody till symptoms were gone, I took another test and um, and I was clear and, and then carried on with my life. So, you know, before any of you moan at me, I have been as responsible as possible. I think I've been near less people than most, than many others have during this, this period. I've wanted to be on my own. So during this period, what I've done, which has now been like 18 months, two years, I don't even know, is I've, I've done a lot of practice. I've really focused on my own training. I mean, I didn't have easy access to my own teachers because I couldn't get to where they were, certain borders were closed that were a bit of a nuisance, so I took myself through Indonesia um, and then here, oh, Portugal originally, I sort of, I was isolated at home for a while and then Indonesia for a long time because I have residency in Indonesia so I can move about as I wish there and now in America where I've been driving from state to state enjoying the wilderness of the desert uh, and the forest and things like this. So, I've been wandering and alongside this practice people don't really understand what wandering like a cloud is or why it's important but essentially it's to do with identity because anybody who's studied any kind of meditation or cultivation practice will know that identity or the idea of self or ego or whatever you know these ideas come up a lot within these traditions they're words that are mentioned and most of us know that we want to not be led by the sense of identity not led by attachments to our sort of perceived sense of self and different traditions will approach it in some ways in different ways and it's an error and people think that all ways are the same so what you often find is especially in the west buddhists will think everybody does it like buddhists hindus will think everybody does it like hindus so vedanta people think everyone does it like hadita vedanta and taoists think everyone does it like that you know what i mean like every tradition seems to believe that theirs is the way or that there's a universal principle that can be applied to all traditions and and there really isn't there's not like some traditions use a lot of analysis and inner searching other traditions use other approaches some based on energetics some based upon specific mental exercises and practice that are guided some are more free so there's many many different ways to approach it and so I, i do find it a bit funny when like if you're a really good Buddhist practitioner, you then think you have a right to comment on how the other traditions work, or Taoist, or whatever, and that it's not, it's not like that, I, I do see the teachings mixed quite a lot and again, if you want to mix the teachings, that's alright, no problem, but I think if you understand several traditions, when you're teaching something or explaining something, or even discussing something you should mention which tradition's viewpoint you're coming from, not to discount your own experience, but so that people understand where something is, so I think it's better, you know, we can like to gradiate out teachings as to where they're from. It's just cleaner when you're trying to learn. And I think it's a good exercise as a practitioner as well to keep an eye on your clarity of where things are from. you know. So this particularly, this idea of wandering like a cloud, will have crossovers in other traditions. I'm specifically talking about it from the Taoist perspective. So their idea, or their teaching that I agree with, is that a lot of your identity, or a large degree of your identity, will be developed upon where you are because as soon as you stay still in a place, whether it's a place you're born in or you've moved to, or maybe you're just somewhere for a few months or, or whatever, as soon as you stay in that place, what happens is you start you start to get two things happen. One is you pick up an identity from that place. That's a fact. Like, people will try to deny it, but of course you do. So, I'll come back to that one, actually. And the second, I'll come to, do it in the other way order. The second one is the people you meet in that area will start to see you as a certain thing, or as a certain person. So if I move into an area, for example, and I am the only Englishman in the area, the only Englishman in the village, or whatever, then what will happen is people in that area will start to identify me as that. So something I've noticed is when I, not now, but when I first started uh, travelling, I was quite young, yeah, and I'm, I'm going into Asia, looking for masters, and trying to study, and all excited. I became like a colonial lord, and I don't mean in a racist way, so maybe it's the wrong term but in my in my appearance it was like the more people I met who recognised me as the only Englishman I became more English my accent became more English than it's ever been before and I I don't know why it was just a reaction to those things and I quickly realised that the more people perceived me as British something that I never really worried about the more British I became almost like I was reflecting that idea uh, back to them you know, which is stupid I know but I see many people do it when they're the only foreigner in an area or anyone from a particular nationality and also people start to see me as different things so they'd see me as a therapist after I treated a couple of people so people start to talk to you like that or maybe I taught some Tai Chi in the area people saw you as the Tai Chi teacher and that became an identity so then what was happening is those ideas were bounced back at me people would come in like mirrors for what I was projecting out or what I was doing. And in the same way, when that information was was projected back, it became a form of identity. So then in that place, the place or the people in the place were even anchoring an identity back into me because I was identifying as that. And sometimes I only started to realize this when I started to move, because I'm a drifter. Like I really don't like staying still for too long is not something I like. I like to be somewhere for a while, then, then move on. And what I noticed is when I was moving areas, i would either very quickly try to re-establish that identity as a form of kind of security blanket you know the new place was unusual to me i felt a bit insecure about it so i tried to re-establish the identity i had in the last place so i had something to hang on to so i was just going through this same pattern of making sure everybody knew in the name new area who i was what i was doing until that idea was built and i saw that pattern and and then i understood that actually if i'm going to wander like a cloud or free wander, then i don't want that so I would go into new areas and then stay for a while and try and be as anonymous as I possibly could. And it might sound bad, but sometimes I would meet people, conversation would ensue, people would ask what you did, and I would give really vague answers, really vague. I wouldn't lie because I don't agree with lying. I think that that's something that moves you away from, from uh, your spiritual practice. But I would be very vague with my answers, so it was very difficult for them to pin down what I did you know so I, I stayed as anonymous as I possibly could and two things happened: one people started to move away from me because I wasn't very interesting if they couldn't put an identity on me what was the point of talking to me you know so I became very dull to them uh, and secondly it, I, I felt it it was not just like not just a, an intellectual thing or a psychological thing of the layer not building there's even an energetic like after a while anyone who's practiced alchemy or any kind of a work will know it's almost a form to the state of your consciousness there's like a it's like a shape to your sense of self you know and that is what was uh, adjusting and that is what was was changing it was releasing as I went into these areas I was anonymous and the more I got into this idea the more I became addicted to it so I, which isn't necessarily healthy but I would just wander and wander and wander month after month after month place after place after place staying as anonymous and in, as visible as I possibly could so that I could get on with my practice and use this as a tool to shed those those layers you know and this is still something I do now and I because I mean some people will know who I am but only maybe some people in the Qigong world or, or something or maybe the Chinese West world but that, that's a very small group of people and even in that field it's a small group of people that, that know who I am I'm under no illusions or desires for anything different there but majority of time when i go into a town i'm I'm pretty anonymous so i can stay for a few weeks or a couple of months or six months and, and if people don't know who i am i find that my practice tends to be better it tends to be better it's like the malleability to that layer of my identity enables me to just get past the peripherals so that i can go deeper into what i am doing so i i've recognized i definitely recognize the usefulness of it as a as a way of life you don't have to do it all the time. It's quite tiring, you know, but uh, it's useful for periods of it. So going back to the other thing, when I said you pick up things from your area that you're in as well. I mean, it's definitely true of where you're born. So much stuff has been given to you by where you're born. Your Everything from your sort of national identity, which has to break down, because that's the sense of self, that's got to go as quick as you possibly can, through to your religious um, denomination. So many people think they choose their religion or think they're in the right religion but of course as we know often your religious um, denomination is dictated by where you're from and the place you're from. So for example where I'm from was very atheist. Um, The people around me, it wasn't very Christian area. it was quite an atheist area. Schools I went to were never very religious, my parents were never very religious, well not at all. It just, you know, I was brought up that way and I was almost brought up with a slight contempt for religion or a dislike of it um, through nobody's fault or anything definitely not but that was a kind of pervading view that was given to me so consequently as I grew up I felt that I was a very deep sort of cynical in a clever way like that religious people were idiots and then it was only as I carried on with my life I, and started to see through it I realized that that's not a conclusion I came to on my own that was just a, a byproduct of where I was from and I'm not saying that idea was wrong but it, it wasn't mine it was just given to me you know in the same way that if you're born in some parts of the world, you'll be Islamic, and if you're born in Muslim, in any of your other parts of the world, you'll be born a Christian, and you know your family and your place will give that to you. And, and actually as I separated from that kind of sense of identity from where I was from, I actually became more religious. I'm not part of any particular denomination of a religion in an organised fashion, definitely not. But uh, my idea of a religion, I mean, I. I adhere to certain concepts and ideas that experience has shown me are true. So I would call myself religious. If I wouldn't call myself, I'm not unspiritual, not religious. That doesn't mean anything. That means you collect crystals. I'm saying I'm religious in the sense of that I have an adherence to an idea of a, a creator consciousness or a creator, whatever you want to put it on a body But I'm not part of an organised um, religion. I don't need that kind of hierarchy. You know. So. You know these ideas sort of shake up as you move so one of the things I always tell people that I think is unhealthy is if you remain where you grew up if you never move away from where you grew up you can move back at later life if you want stuff and whatever I'm not throwing you out of your town but <laughs> what well, don't have that power but I think that when people stay in the area they grew up and they never leave that's very unhealthy there's a there's a level of maturity that never develops in people because they never shed even the most superficial peripheral layers of self that are formed because of where they are. And I've met people that, that are still in the area where they grew up, and I, again, I don't wanna be mean or anything, but I do feel that I already know quite a lot about them because of if I go into the town or go into the area, I know what the pervading political, religious, ethical views or, or whatever are in that space kind of know the viewpoints of the person that never left that area it's not much of a shocker and if I meet their parents you you normally find they either have the parents views or they've rebelled and they've had the direct opposite views with no nuance it's one or the other and that kind of like a rebellion against a view is not yours any more than the view do you know what I mean if it's the direct counter to what you've been taught then you're still just reacting your area so your sense of identity is still based on that you know so there's no nuance there it's just a rebellion and rebellion is childish right it's a useful thing for children and teachers teenagers to go through but if you're still rebelling as a kind of principle as a reactive quality as an adult and that's kind of childish as well you know when i meet rebellious adults on principle i do find them to be quite immature because rebellion lacks nuance it's only reaction to something which means you're still controlled by that factor so if you stay in your area, that's basically, for the majority of people, that's what's gonna happen. So even if you, I mean, to counter that, argue with myself, because there's no one else in the car on this giant five-hour drive across America, which I chose in a bad time, seems to be rush hour, which isn't very, wasn't very clever, was it? But to counter that, like, if you do live in the area you grew up in, no problem, but maybe if you're a cultivator, take some time to, to go away and Spend like a few months, a year or two, wandering like a cloud, like shedding that identity, becoming aware of what identity is given to you by that place, what layers, because obviously not all of your identity is there, but a lot of layers are. Look at your political situation. Like, How many people's political stance is dictated by where they're from? I mean, I see this really clearly in America because you get red and blue states. And it's quite funny that I'm going from state to state. Now, I don't hold any political denomination specifically I find extreme left to be slightly nauseating and I find extreme right to be kind of nauseating as well I I don't like extremes and I kind of recognize strengths pros and cons of all arguments and I I don't need a leader you know like I think it's weird when people vote for their leader like all right you have to have someone in charge like an admin type who runs the country whatever, But isn't it weird when you get this identity cult around them, like in this country, Trump or Biden, I suppose, um, or whoever comes after those two, whatever, maybe Trump again, maybe I don't know, Kamala, I don't know what. You know, I don't know anything about American politics really, and I don't care. But they, this identity cult builds up around them. I guess Boris Johnson in the UK is quite similar in a way. And then people kind of like the identity, they like the person, and then they're no longer voting for what they feel will kind of support their country in the best way. They're voting for their leader. You know, like I want that guy to lead. Why do you need a leader? Why do you need a leader? Why not just be mature enough and advanced enough and developed enough in yourself that you don't require a leader? It's like just vote for the guy who's gonna do the best admin job running the country and, and lead yourself. And the other thing you get is people like adhering to a team. So I'm red or I'm blue, like they're Manchester United or Liverpool or New York Giants or I don't know any American sports team you know what I mean like it's almost like a team event it doesn't even matter what the guy says I'm read through and through or whatever like I find all that really weird anyway that kind of identity politics isn't my thing I've stepped out of it I've never voted in my life and I never will I take no shame in saying that it's amazing how many people get angry at that Um, but that's because it's attacked their identity of what they feel is important and I know under this video I'll get those people going people died for that right for you to vote, and I could do a longer explanation of why, but I don't care, so I won't bother. But again, why I'm rambling about that is because politically, people's denomination often comes from where they're from. And I notice this when I go state to state, because you get pockets of people at are the opposite, of course, but even they tend to gather in a town. <laughs> so you get a blue town in a red state, or a red town in a blue state in America quite often. And, and when you walk into that state, people will just chat with you casually assuming that you agree with them so it's quite funny i go in a blue state and people if the left-wing state sorry if you're not american you're not familiar with it, a left-wing state and people just start chatting you about how awful people on the right how, how awful trump supporters are as people just assuming that you agree they will just assume, like because you're in the because they're so used to people in that area having that view that they just assume you agree and then you go into red states and the same people will start sort of slagging off the left or Biden or ideas of social justice or or whatever that they're against assuming that you agree now the reason they assume you agree is because they're from that area and in that area most people do so their areas become an echo chamber that's along with social media as we know that that distorts our views and so consequently that is reinforcing their layers And, and the funny thing is if they went and lived somewhere else for a period of time or certainly if they were born somewhere else, when their political views were developing, they probably wouldn't have that view. You know, They wouldn't have it, they'd probably have the view of the state they came from, especially if their family had that view. So there's a, and again, not everybody, some people critically think and figure out what is best, but I think we can agree the majority do not. So you have to be careful, because those layers will form. Because I had very strong political views when I was younger, and when I started moving around, those political views faded, they went because just like everything else i came to realize or many other things that my political views were dictated by the environment that i was in they were nurture they were nurtured certainly not nature but they were nurtured by the people that were around me and psychologists have often tried to say it's nature that if you have a certain personality you'll tend towards this political view or vice versa but i don't know i mean maybe that personality that you have is is maybe even your nature is only nurtured by where you're from so Ah, who knows? These are kind of ideas that I don't have answers for, of course, instead still exploring them, but they're things that you'll notice will break down as you travel around. The more I moved around, my taste in music, my taste in food, my taste in people, my views on religion, my views on politics, my views on who I was, my views on national pride, all started to break down increasingly. They always do break down and become more malleable as I moved around. I also found that I became less dependent on other people loneliness was less of a a factor, like many other qualities arose. And and the the byproduct of this, the knock-on effect, the domino effect was that my meditation practice, my spiritual practice became better. And I even notice, if I stay still for too long and that identity starts to form again because people know who I am and they give me a role in the community or a job or something, then my practice gets worse. Like I feel it, it gets, anchor to get stuck in something and still the practice isn't bad it might only make 10% difference you know but it still makes some difference so you can't wander forever can you I suppose you could It'd be very expensive these days I mean even wandering is quite expensive and quite limiting um, but you know at some point you're probably going to stay still and and that's fine like I'm not anti that and I've got a house and I've had places I've lived for periods of time in Asia, in the West, and, and, and that identity is there. But the, because of the wandering like a cloud phases or periods, it, there's still a malleability there. So those layers I'm less attached to when they start to start to form. So I definitely think it's a, a beneficial thing This cloud wandering periods, which I'm now on. Uh, if you don't count the time that I stayed to kind of quietly practice in, in Portugal, where I, I was based for a long time, if you don't count that period I've now been wandering for like 11 months I think 10 months just moving moving and uh, yeah like sometimes only move to a close area other site like next village or something like that or just change house change place but now in America it's a bit more you know through Indonesia and stuff and yeah like these periods are great I think they're very useful if you have the luxury of being able to do them if you don't have dependents or something like this I mean, classically, when people cloud wandered as well, these were monks often, or or maybe if they weren't monks, they were part of a a spiritual community. They were apprentices of an alchemy master or or something like this. And uh, another thing they did, really, was often what they would do is they would have a period where they stay still and study the core of a a system, like a, a tradition, to go as deep as they could into it off of apprentice with their master. And then they would have um, a period sometimes where they traveled with their master, which not many people get to do these days. I've done a bit of it. I've been very blessed, very lucky, but not a lot of people get to to do that these days because of the nature of how the world is. But they would travel with their master who kind of showed them how to be when they went from place to place and maybe showed them to adopt a little bit of invisibility. You don't need to project your identity on everybody. And then there was periods, there was four stages. So then there was periods when the, the student would travel, On their own and when they traveled on their own they would focus on their own practice and then the way that they were when they interacted with people was their practice like sometimes you would go to a place and it become the pillar of the community and you could see how your identity formed around that nothing wrong with it but you just watch it and observe it happened and then sometimes you go to a place and be invisible be irrelevant and watch how malleable your nature is at that period you know and then the fourth period fourth type of wandering so you got first three is stay still with your master and study, second one travel with your master and see how it is uh, to, to travel and be malleable in yourself and then third one travel on your own and watch how these processes unfold with you when you've got nobody to become a mirror for your identification and then the fourth stage uh, would have been to travel to meet other masters and other lineage so it even became a part of their study so it wasn't like cross training like people do these days often and create a kind of chop suey mix of everything, a <laughs> bit of this, bit of that, bit of Buddhism, bit of Hinduism, bit of Taoism and a bit of Zumba, I get the ultimate system, chuck in a bit of cacao, job's are good And got my spiritual, si- it's not that kind of stuff. What would happen is they would always have a core system, you had to have a core thread, a raft to cling to during your studies, but then what you would do is you would just go and get sort of other um, opinions or other perspectives for short periods of time from other masters and I've, I've done lots of that. So I have my core tradition, my alchemical tradition that I'm in and um, also increasingly a Chan Buddhist line that's very important to me, very dear to me. But I've also been to study with heads of almost all of the Indonesian, Chinese, um, and Southeast Asian, Taiwanese as well, and or or internal lineages that I can find. Sometimes I stay for a while with these guys, sometimes only very brief, sometimes as little as a, a couple of lunches, sort of pick their brains a bit and, and see what they, thought and about their system really just to enrich my viewpoint of what was going on and, and kind of get a broader understanding of the arts and of course the deeper you go into an agron tradition the more access you have to others because your teacher will introduce you or they will accept you sometimes you have to give a little demonstration to them to show your skill level or whatever or you know things that sometimes you just have to pay some money as that too let's be honest and you get to meet these guys and I don't teach their material you know, I think that's bad. People go see some for ten minutes and then start teaching their stuff badly. I don't teach their material or anything like that. I just spend time sort of chatting with them and learning more about their lines to enrich my own understanding. Not combining, always sticking with what I do, but just kind of seeing how other things work. And as a teacher, that can be very enriching because you get a wider picture of what people are doing. There are right and wrong. Whatever people say, that every method is correct for you? No, it's not. Some of it, some of it's complete bullshit. So let's be honest, some of it's rubbish, and, and the more you go out and, and meet different lines, you can kind of see what works and what doesn't, and see what ideas there are, so that was another aspect of wandering as well, I've done a fair bit of that on this tradition, looking at sort of um, how other things, oh, during this time of wandering I seen how other things work so that's wandering like a cloud you know, and I'm still doing it now obviously, in the old days you probably wandered with a little bit of a sort of knapsack or whatever, your red hanky tied on a stick, I'm driving around in a car from town to town and doing it I've just left New Mexico headed into up into Colorado don't know where I am maybe this is Denver I'm not sure I might be in Denver I'm so bad at directions I head a direction and I don't really know where I'm headed but there you go that's the other thing we're wandering I wander so much I spend most of my time lost it's quite amazing I've been around the world so many times lost for like 90 percent of it but that's all right. <laughs> Whatever. Since some funny things. So, just a bit of chat about wandering like a cloud. I can advise it, you know, and I wanted to explain it as well because it's a term that some of my people, and um, some people I teach, saw recently, and they asked me what the term meant. Um, and I meant, and on a practical level, it's, it's that it was a part of your initiation and part of your training that you wandered like a cloud for a period of time, and partially just to talk about the rationale for it because I wandered like a cloud wrong. Um, several times as so I was like, right, I can do some cloud wandering, take six months. Everywhere I went, I made sure everybody knew what I did, who I was, as soon as the conversation started, this is what I do. And uh, what, so it, essentially, I just formed my identity in every new location, every interaction, straight away over and over again, where actually, if I'd done it properly and stayed invisible and not made a big deal of who I was, then that period would have been a lot more um, beneficial so try to be invisible you know and if you're not someone who can wander for whatever reason then use use social interactions in the same way you know i mean we all meet people don't we we all meet people i assume unless you're completely locked down hiding from the apocalypse at the moment but when you meet people you can treat it as a form of cloud wandering as well because look at what happens in most conversations people either ask what you do or they tell you what they do and who they are most people will tell you like most people don't really listen do they they just if you watch conversations between new people unless they're attracted to each other or they're going to benefit from the situation oh god this is gloomy they don't listen they don't want to know what you do they normally just want to tell you what they do so you get a gathering of people for business or maybe you've just met or something and everyone will tell their stories and they always try to be or often they try to be the one with the strongest identity in that group, the most interesting. Some people will do it through telling you how fascinating their work is. Some people will tell you by what their cultural background is. I'm an Irish American, I'm an Italian American, or something like this in this country, because that gives them a form of identity, doesn't it? Uh in this country, America, sorry Americans, but is very identity obsessed. I was gonna I, I will say I've it's like I've never known a country. America has lots of brilliant sides to it, I love this country, that's my disclaimer before I slag off one thing that I see in America, is just how identity focused everybody is. It's like, how many conversations do we have to talk about race, culture, religion, ethnicity, your state of origin, hi, I'm from Denver, or something like that, if that's where I am, or like it doesn't matter, you know, like, I, it doesn't matter, like, all of those times you're reinforcing all those, dea- those ideas as a cultivator, you're strengthening your sense of self, you know, and fine, you know, it's it's a cultural expectation, so I don't want to slag it off or be too negative, and, and I can't hide mine in this country, because as soon as I chat with someone and they hear my accent in this country, they know I'm from Australia, so I can't hide that, my identity is there straight away, but you know what I mean, like try sometimes going into a social interaction, this is my advice as, you know, part of this podcast is, try not to do that, like watch yourself if you do that, do you try to establish your identity within that social interaction straight away, try not to, don't lie about your identity, oh yes I'm a Hollywood actor and uh, I come from Mozambique, Or don't make stuff up, but just like don't necessarily offer that information unless they really hassle or be a bit more vague or just try not to strengthen it, or don't push it on people don't give that identity straight away and watch what happens watch how like how people interact with you how different it is because they don't know what to say to you or they don't go into autopilot on how they should be with you because of your status or background or something like that and and if you're one of these people who tries to wow people with shocking stories because there's lots of those these are my wild drug stories these are my wild past stories like don't do that either because that's a form of identity building isn't it and Once you've seen this in yourself, try watching it in other people in social interactions. If there's a newcomer to a group or watch what they do. Do they give the shocking story? I want to be the wild one. Do they give stories about their status? Look how wealthy and intelligent I am or or something like that. Watch what they do, you know. Don't judge them because we all do it, but just make note and see. See how human beings form their identity. And then you can treat conversations as a kind of mini cloud wandering, you know, meeting people to see what happens. Be invisible. Be boring, and and see see what happens. You know, listen to other people instead of pushing your yourself forward. You, you find out sometimes you interact and you listen. People are shocked, <laughs> which is kind of sad, really, because it indicates that not a lot that goes on. I suppose. Traffic. There we go. I must be in. Yeah, I'm in Denver. That's where right, I am. I'm in Denver. I can see now on the uh, GPS or sat nav. It, it says okay, cool. Well, that was Denver. I just passed over it. Didn't really see it. I just went over the top of it. Um, yeah. So there we go. That's cloud wandering, and I can advise it sometimes. Just to wander, you know. Walk the earth like Cain, if you know what that means, or be a bum like Cain if you've seen Pulp Fiction. This is, uh, I think, an important part of of cultivation. It's like final thoughts is. People don't realize that we talk about attention sometimes or mindfulness or or something like that. Or your awareness, apply your awareness or something. Do you know, like, the self can't apply awareness. (laughs) That's one of the jokes. So the stronger your sense of self, or rather the stronger your attachment to your sense of self, because we all have a sense of self, right? Sense of our self-identity. But it's your attachment to it, your clinging to it, your lack of malleability within that space of who you are that prevents you from paying attention, pretends you prevents you from having true awareness. The stronger your sense of attachment to your sense of self, the less aware you are, the less you're able to apply attention. And you might not necessarily be able to see the causation in that right away when you first hear it, because what I just said there, I think is actually more important to practice than people realize. But the more you go into the arts, the more you practice, the more you'll, you'll see what I mean. You'll see for yourself. When you sever the attachment to the sense of self, the level of your awareness goes up increases it is better your concentration skills become better your absorption skills become better so I'm going to leave it there because I'm going to navigate this traffic jam without using my bumpers for what they're intended <laughs> and uh, thanks very much